If you've got your Ephesians Scripture journal with you, you can read along with me, Ephesians 4, page 14. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, eager to... This, there is one body and one Spirit, just as you are called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God... And one Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And then down in verse 11. And he, God, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood or personhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way unto him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, making the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Let's pray. Lord, we are gathered today in your name as people that want to know of you and learn of you, want to follow you. So speak to us through your word and your spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Today we continue in a series from the book of Ephesians entitled, Out of Joint, So far, we've seen how Jesus' church is to be aligned with him by aligning our actions with our faith, by inviting outsiders to become insiders, including them in our midst with open arms, and by allowing the Holy Spirit to both love on us and empower us. This morning in Ephesians 4, we'll find that when Jesus' church is aligned, that is unified in him, the church will exhibit a mature and growing faith evidenced by loving and serving each other as Jesus is loving and serving us. You might see some ushers moving around. If you don't have one of these Ephesians scripture journals, please raise your hand. They're glad to give you one. That's what they're there for. I'm going to encourage you to do as we've been doing in this series is to write in these, mark things down. If I say something that's really pithy and wonderful, you can write that down. It's possible. Or if there's something that I say that helps you understand the Scriptures better, you might write that down as well. Or if something comes to you in the midst of our time together, this is for you to jot your thoughts. We have students and children in our services on Communion Sundays. We invite the elementary children to stay with us so they can experience communion alongside of us. So if that is you, a way that you can engage during this sermon time is a couple ways. One, you can also, in your prayer journal, do just what I said, jot things down, write alongside, and or, if you'd like, you can draw a picture. Um, You can draw a picture of anything that communicates, as you're sitting here, unity or or being together, enjoying one, one another. You might have different pictures that you could draw. I've already got some that some students have given me, so I would love to have yours as well. Please sign them so I know who gave them to me. If I'm not around, you can't find me, give it to one of the ushers or another pastor, and they'll get it to me. 
A few weeks ago, Pastor Melissa Shazer invited us on a make-believe trip to northern Italy with her. You might remember this picture. She asked us to think about our own dream car in this excursion that we were going to go on. I want to show you the one that I picked in my head. Mm -hmm. What is it, right? Classic Jaguar. Now, I want to show you how incredible this is because this is, I'm going to show you in just a minute, my very first car that I bought as a freshman in college, and I want you to see how close it is to this. It's amazing. <laughs> Anybody know? It's a Chevy Vega. You know, one thing that Melissa pointed out to us, that cars, in order for all cars, in order for them to run well, they have to be maintained well. But I remember the time that my dad told me when I had that Chevy Vega, he said, Ron, you need to pay to have the front end alignment done. And I said, what is that? And he goes, you got to have the tires put in line because that's why you, when you drive, you drive to the left and, and the tires are wearing out. I, I was a bit incensed by this idea. I thought, well, why can't manufacturers make cars that just run straight? Seems simple enough to me. Besides, I thought it was a coup between, you know, the mechanics and the manufacturers to take some hard-earned cash out of my pocket that was already designated for very important college activities. <laughs> Just saying. Alignment. When Jesus' church is aligned, that is, unified in him, the church will exhibit a mature and growing faith. We are called to be in alignment with one another as we are in aligned with Christ. Today, we come to a pivotal point in Paul's letter to the Ephesians. The first three chapters, which we've been focused upon, powerfully and eloquently speak about God's grace, about God's goodness, and God's glory. And then we turn the page in chapter 4, and Paul pivots to a, a therefore. And this therefore is basically asking the so what, now what question. It's as if Paul is saying... Since all of this is true, verse chapters 1 through 3, this is then how we should live in response. This is how we should and can align Jesus' church with him. Unfortunately, because we're human, our nature is this. Jesus' church becomes quickly out of joint if we give divisiveness an opportunity to creep in and take root. In chapter 4, verse 1, that we just read, Paul is writing to the Romans in prison, and he's saying, based on everything I've written so far, I urge you, which is not some kind of friendly reminder, nor is it a helpful suggestion to which Paul says to feel free to take or leave. He's saying, I implore you, I beg you, I beseech you, I pray and hope with all of my heart that you will walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. That is, Paul is saying to those of us who have come face to face with the grace of God and found the gospel of grace calling us to follow Jesus, that after you've experienced his love and his forgiveness over and over again, after being filled with the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, and now as you understand that you are forever God's, dearly loved, never to be let go, that you should loving, lovingly respond to Jesus by how you live. Walk in a manner worthy. It's kind of like Paul is saying this. Live like God means it. Let me explain. I, I see uh, integrity as something like this. Say what you mean, mean what you say, and do what you say and mean. 
God is a God of integrity. And I know that's a rather trivial statement, but it's true. God says what he means. God means what he says. And God has done and is doing and will do what he says and means. So we should live like God means it. It's been said that our problem is that we receive million-dollar grace, but we give a five-cent response. And that's not meant to condemn us and make us feel bad about ourselves because we're not supposed to conjure up the response. The problem is we've forgotten about the million-dollar grace. We've lost sight of that again and again. So unity in Jesus' church begins with hearts of its individual members being aligned. Bringing alignment to Jesus' church begins with the renovation of the heart. Verses 2 through 3. He says, walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Probably humility and gentleness are, are at the very forefront of all of these. They're all important. But think about the word gentleness for a moment. It's a word that's become lost in our vernacular of today and our experience. As Petey mentioned, the disunity that we experience in our our political climate, social media and the nightly newscasts is often far from gentle. And while texting and emailing is very beneficial to disseminate information and plan meetings, it's created a shield for many of us to hide behind, to say what we really think. Gentleness to the wind. And yet Paul exhorts his people to be gentle. And that biblical word gentle basically means taking care not to harm others. You could write that one down. Taking care not to harm others. See, when we feel wronged, misunderstood, misrepresented, slandered, gossiped against, slandered, our natural reaction is to strike back, sometimes even physically, but most of the times it's with our words. And we're told instead to be gentle, taking care not to harm others, even if they deserve it, especially if they deserve it. Being gentle is not a weak characteristic trait. In fact, the most gentle one who ever lived is Christ Jesus, and so we lean into him when we don't want to be gentle and say, Lord... Change my heart. Humility, well, it's probably the essential heart attitude from which all the others flow. Pride unchecked is divisiveness creep. For pride, when, which is self-focused, puts Jesus' church out of alignment every single time. Without humility, the church will never have the unity it could have and God desires. We're also to be patient, which basically means that we put aside our own agendas and our own desired outcomes. We replace our expectations with excited anticipation to see what God is going to do next. We're to be people bearing with one another in love. That's a, a nice phrase, but it basically means this. We're supposed to put up with them, those other people. You know, when they do things how we wouldn't do them, they say things like we wouldn't say them. God says, put up with them. Just put up, if you've if you got to do the roll eye, at least turn, you know, the eye roll, turn around, don't let them see you, but put up with them. 
Why? Because you love them. Why do you love them? Because Jesus loves you. And besides, Jesus puts up with us all the time. And they have to put up with us, them, those people. We're to bear with one another in love. And we are to be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit, which is the bond of peace. So you see that this, this unity comes from the Spirit of God. It's God's idea, not ours. And we're to be eager. That is, we're to put energy into this. We're to, we're to put ourselves all in. See, it's important to point out that unity is not the same thing as unanimity or conformity. We sometimes think that's what it is. We all walk the same, talk the same. Conformity and unanimity is basically being in unison and being all the same. But unity is a quality or state of not being multiple, but having a sense of oneness. It's a condition of harmony, accord. It's a combination or ordering the parts that constitutes a whole or promotes an undivided total effect that is very positive. Unity is not a solo, it's a symphony. It's not a monologue, it's a play. It's not a hamburger, it's a seven-course meal. Okay, that one's a little out there, I get it. I think you get my point. Unity, that is alignment amongst the individual believers in the church, as we read it in verses 11 and 16, does not stamp out individuality of the person, nor of the individual's responsibility, but instead it puts those two together in a way that speaks to something far greater. And according to Paul in verse 4, church unity has its foundation in God. It's not man-made unity that is, relies upon structures and processes and altruistic pie-in-the-sky platitudes, it's found in the Lord himself. Let's read this one together. There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Unity is rooted in God and in of the things of God. That's why CPC's leadership for years ago put together their, their statement of faith and their vision and value statements, and then we put that online for, for people to see this is what we believe. It's based on a theological understanding. We also post our, our, our denomination there, ECO, a covenant order of evangelical Presbyterians, of this denomination we've decided to align ourselves with, and they have more information you can read. But the church is based on shared theology. As Paul moves forward then in verse 11, alignment looks like this. Christian unity is realized in the church when believers love and serve each other like Jesus loves and serves them. We're told in verse 12 to, the leaders are told to equip the saints. That is to impart the knowledge and the skills that God has given them to others, to encourage them, to coach them, to cheerlead them so the body of Christ would be built up, strong, healthy, flourishing. And this, says the word, leads to unity, maturity, and a fuller expression and experience of the fullness of God. Growing maturity is evident in verse 14 when we're no longer swayed by going to and fro by the different things and the new, new teachings that come out, but we're able to discern the will of God because we are becoming more and more biblically 
literate. And then Paul continues in verse 15 and 16, and we find the aligned church when it is serving and loving each other as Jesus is serving and loving us. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together in every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, making, makes the body grow so it builds itself up in love. See, love shapes truth and truth shapes love. A healthy body is something that is where there's all hands on deck, every, everybody doing their part to advance the kingdom. So alignment in Jesus' church is when Christian unity flourishes and individuals' hearts embrace the heart of Jesus, humble, gentle, patient, putting up with each other. When unity flows out of the God, God's and God's ways found in the scriptures and when Jesus' church loves and serves each other as Jesus loves and serves us. But here's the rub. Because of our human nature, if we're not capable, careful, Jesus' church becomes quickly out of joint if we give divisiveness an opportunity to creep in and take root. Let me give you an example. You see, in order for things to grow into all the fullness of which they're designed, there are certain circumstances that come into play. Take, for instance, plants. If they get what they need, they will flourish. If not, they will grow, but their growth will be stunted. Here you have a picture of two plants. One is well-nourished. It, it has all the certain nutrients, magnesium, potassium, and nitrogen that it needs. The other one, not so much, and you see the difference. One is stunted. One is flourishing. CPC, from my perspective, is clearly like the plant on the left. By God's grace, CPC is flourishing in this time of transition. And I firmly believe it is of God's doing. And at the same time, if you don't know this, I think you should know this, the healthy, amazing place we find ourselves, even when we're in transition, has really very little to do with me and everything to do with the pastors and leaders that God has called here and the ministry and support staff that God has employed here and the session of elders that serve you here and many, many others. Because these people, i got to tell you, they are all in and all out for Jesus Christ. And they are committed to continue to advance this kingdom while we're in this time of transition. I'm going to meddle just a little bit, okay? That's what transition pastors get to do. You know, they come in, they meddle, they leave, and then you have to clean it up. It's all good. But don't worry, it's not bad. But do you know when divisiveness creep is at its best? One of the biggest and best times for this is when the church is going through transition. It is. And again, thanks be to God, although CPC is not perfect for there is none, we are incredibly aligned with Jesus and we are incredibly aligned with one another. And think about it. CPC lost a, a senior pastor that had been here for a long time and was loved and revered and did great things for the kingdom, but God called him to retire. And now CPC is losing another beloved pastor, Rich Fino, who's been here for a long time and loved on us and, and cared for us. 
And I'm going to tell you something else that's true. You're not going to want to hear it, but it's true. Nobody wants this, but he may call others away as well. Because that happens in times of transition. God has his way of stirring things up. That's not to make you nervous. It's just saying that, that could happen. Now, I and Petey and all of us, we have talked to all the, the, the staff. We told them, nobody can leave. We make them sign papers. <laughs> uh, we have them in a file back in the back room. Um, but God has his way of doing things that we don't understand and we don't like. But it's his church, and it will be Okay. And there's still something coming down the pike that will also cause some angst for some, because at some point, this church is going to discern the call of a new senior pastor, and I think it'll, it's going to be a wonderful thing, but for some, there'll be angst in that. And so this divisive creep can come upon us, and that's how that creep is. It, it creeps in. It's not something that happens overnight. And so as we see it, as we experience it, as we start to do it ourselves, we need to come back to Ephesians 4 and say, no, 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 this is what the church is to look like in harmony and unity, loving and serving one another, rather than falling into patterns and behaviors of divisiveness, loving and serving as Jesus serves us. You might say, how is Jesus serving us? I've said that many times. How is he serving us? I get how he served us 2,000 years ago on the cross. And then later, when he was resurrected and sent the Spirit, but how is he serving us today? Well, he continues to serve us through his word. So if you're not being served by Jesus, it could be because you're not in here enough. Because every time we go there, he speaks to us, sometimes in a fresh way, but always in a truthful way. He serves us often in song. You know, the, the song that the choir sang this morning, isn't he? I first heard that song, I don't know, two, three months ago when my, our oldest son, David, who's a, a worship leader, worship director at a church in uh, Scottsdale, did that song with her choir, and I, his mother-in-law put it on Facebook. See, Facebook has some good things, right? Because I didn't know David did it, and we, I went there, and I listened to that song, and they did it with a choir, and it was my favorite song, gosh, for at least a month to six weeks. And then I found another song. That's how I am. The poor people in the office that are close to me, they hear me playing the same song over and over again day after day because it just ministers to my soul because often it is songs like that one, isn't he, that, that reminds us of who God is and how much he loves. And if we don't camp there, I would say to you daily, then all this other stuff just feels like a bunch of have-tos and rules and regulations Unless you're very, very disciplined, which I'm not, you're not going to do that very, very long. You know, I think today, uh, even last night, Saturday night, that song became my favorite song again. Thank you. Thank you. So God ministers to us. Jesus ministers through his word, through song, through his spirit, and through his people. Last week, we commissioned a bunch of wonderfully trained lay care ministers and I love how Melissa ended that kind of commissioning with the, the question to the people that were here and said, will you promise to let these people minister to you in your time of need? Because that is how we experience Jesus serving us. When Jesus' church is aligned, unified in him, 
The church will exhibit a mature and growing faith, evidenced by loving and serving each other as Jesus is loving and serving us. When Jesus' church is aligned, it will flourish. It will continue to flourish. It will put a smile on God's face. It will shine brightly amid a dark, hurting, and watchful world. And the church will like the church way more. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Might you plant within our hearts that which we need to have planted, and then might we go and nourish it the rest of this day and this week, growing increasingly, individually, but also as a church, into the fullness of maturity, day in and day out, until you come again. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.